Ladies and gentlemen, as it is on or near Halloween night, the Mercury Theatre of the Air presents an evening of music devoid of thinly veiled social critique. Ladies and gentlemen, as is a common practice, we interrupt this evening of music to inform you of a breaking minor scientific observation. We take you now to a scientific laboratory. We are here at a scientific laboratory talking with Dr. Guy Manstrong and his female assistant. Oh, I'm not his assistant. I'm actually the head of this laboratory, Dr. Betty Brightwise. Betty, don't interrupt. Men are talking. Using our new electronic telescope, we've observed faint traces of gases on Mars that could be either seismic or volcanic in nature, but almost certainly not the exhaust plumes of interplanetary craft. We felt this observation's potential to increase our understanding of Mars's geological makeup was sufficient to interrupt the program of night music, and definitely not because of its potential to herald the death and suffering at the hands of an otherworldly force. That would be laughable. Actually, Dr. Manstrong, my data suggests there's some legitimate cause for concern. Betty! She is right, though. If spacecraft do descend on us, it is vital for the public to be aware that they should walk right up and fuck with the craft, and to instantly impose our system of rules, values, and culture upon whatever type of being the occupants are, be they white Christian men or hideous monsters. Look! Alien spacecraft are descending on us! My god, the female assistant is right. Ladies and gentlemen, a flat black rectangle the size of a moderately priced automobile has crashed near the scientific laboratory. Jibs on fucking with it. Shotgun. That's a terrible idea. Nag, nag, nag. Am I right? Here's the plan. If they're a superior race, we beg for peace. If we're a superior race, uh, let's see how they taste. Ladies and gentlemen, there's a crowd of slack-jawed gawkers shuffling around the smoking crater left by the crashing ship. The black, flat rectanguloid is lodged upright in the dirt, and, ladies and gentlemen, near the top of the ship, I I see movement. Wait, there's something crawling out of the top of the ship. Ladies and gentlemen, the aliens are hideous, misshapen blobs, remote in every conceivable feature, pleasing and inviting to the eye, devoid of any trace of humanity. Just like a Chinaman. What? There, what's that? Look! Ladies and gentlemen, there are numerous tentacles emanating from the creature. Thin, white tentacles with bulbous tips. They're... they're reaching out towards the hicks in the crowd. My god, they're grabbing people by the ears. Oh, the humanity. No one can run before being snatched by the creature and left to god knows what end. Let me see if I can get close to one. Excuse me, sir. Can you tell me what feelings you have regarding an alien probing your ears? Run! Back to the lab! Ladies and gentlemen, the crowd of enslaved gawkers are making a terrible inhuman screeching. Its cacophony made all the more surreal by the fact that all of the enslaved by the alien tendril are silent. Still, heads bent slightly, blinking and respirating in union. 
Doctor, have you ever seen anything like this? Is there any rational explanation in God's natural world for this? Zombies. What? No. My conclusion as a scientist and as a man is that they're all zombies. Everyone take a revolver and some crucifixes. And let's get to work. Doctor, wait. I've done some pattern analysis on the sound that people are making. I think I've decoded a simple binary language. Zombie propaganda. They enslaved those people. But so far, the translation reads, We come in peace, and we offer the gift of limitless power from magnetic fusion. Doctor, I think they're trying to help us. They'll never help us. I was there. I saw those twisted creatures. They don't physically have a back. How could a creature without a back have the capacity to understand the concept of helping out another sentient being? No, this was a hostile act. I think the situation is a little more fluid than that. She's right. She is? Yes, a more fluid situation. We need drinks. Betty, try to be useful for once and mix up some gin and tonics. But doctor... And Betty, are you looking at me? Yes. Gin and tonics. How many fingers am I holding up when I say gin? Four. And how many am I holding up when I say tonic? One, doctor. Good. Gin and tonics. Now wiggle that butt down to my office and mix the drinks. Good God, double degree in astrophysics. You'd think she'd know how to make a decent drink. We interrupt this workplace harassment for an expository dialogue. The alien scourge is over. Initial reports show the aliens have contracted and died from numerous human diseases, quite a few of them sexual in nature. We now return you to our regularly scheduled program. So it's over. It'll never be over, not so long as the Red Menace exists. Our only hope against the Martian invaders lies in our ability to survive contagious diseases more readily than they. We need to broadcast an anti-vaccination radio message directly at Mars to ensure that they will remain weak and susceptible to our mightiest polios. But what if someone on Earth heard that message? Wouldn't they fall victim to the same fate? Oh, please. Can you imagine how far rational thought would have to regress for people to believe an anti-vaccination message? Let's remember that the blackness of our souls and actions does not correlate stupidity. <laughs> We're a horrible species. But you're right. How dumb and terrible would you have to be to fall for that? I mean, look at how we treat Betty. We're monsters. But we're not dumb. There is a fifth dimension. It is a dimension as vast as space and as timeless as infinity. It's as big as a house and as fat as a cow. It's as cool as a cucumber and tight as... Tight as... It is the middle ground between light and shadow, between science and superstition, between a rock and a hard place, between two ferns, and between the pit of man's fears and the summit of his knowledge. This is the dimension of imagination. It is an area which we call the Coos Cave. The place is here, the time is now, 
and the journey into the shadows that we are about to watch could be our journey. Witness, if you will, a young couple heading to Dolores Park for a good old-fashioned day drink. But it could be any park in any town and any casual display of alcoholism. Our young lovers, Caleb and Jessica, arrived at the park, spread out their blanket, smoked several joints they insisted on calling pre-rolls, and opened their cooler, which was filled to the brim with White Claw. Hand me a Borbo koozie, said Jessica. Hmm, that's odd, Caleb said, rifling through the bag. I'm not seeing the Borbo koozie. Okay, well, then how about my Rather Be Chewin' koozie? Dario Frangetti surfing with Jesus koozie? Adlai Stevenson slapping the hogs koozie? Babe, I don't actually see any of our free legal advice podcast can koozies in here. You, you what? Are you telling me that my hand has to make direct contact with the can? How does that even work? Oh my god, and the White Claw. Are you telling me this grain alcohol masked as a trendy health-like alternative to beer is going to be slightly warmer now? Caleb wanted to comfort her, but he was equally worried. Worst of all, he added, how will people know I'm part of the it crowd if I don't have an official flap koozie? Well, like usual, Dolores Park was packed with anxiety-riddled alcoholics acting like carefree youths, and some nearby picnickers had offered to lend our couple some can koozies. Hey, couldn't help but hear your dilemma. We have a few extra koozies. Happy to lend you one. But as they handed Jessica a bag of koozies, she couldn't help but notice these koozies were different. They didn't seem to have that quality made-in-Bangladesh feel like other flap koozies she had used. And the jokes just didn't seem to hit her funny bone like that famous flap sense of humor. Something's not right, she said to Caleb. What are you talking about? Just pick one. She quickly went to Instagram and scrolled through the popular free legal advice podcast account. None of the jokes on the koozies matched any of the hilarious free legal advice podcast jokes that had come to define her generation as well as several other generations. I'm sorry to be picky, but these don't seem like official free legal advice podcast koozies. Oh yeah, I mean, haven't you heard? Free legal advice podcast merch is so popular that they ran out of official can koozies. In fact, if yours are missing, I bet they've been stolen. They're pretty hot on the black market right now. These are definitely knockoff koozies, but hey, it's all you can find. Jessica started freaking out. No way, that can't be true. Caleb tried to rationalize. Yeah, maybe these are just referencing jokes from the really old episodes that you definitely shouldn't go back and listen to. Or this? What about this one? It's a little Captain Travis koozie. See, it's got to be official. Hey man, some of these knockoffs are pretty good. I've heard some have hired teams of professional comedians to try and come close to that free legal advice podcast sense of humor. But ultimately, you know it's an official flap koozie by looking on the back. Flap koozies have an individually numbered certificate of authenticity, which has its own certificate of authenticity. That's how you know it's real. Caleb was in disbelief. On one hand, this guy seemed to know what he was talking about, but on the other hand, he couldn't imagine being seen with a knockoff koozie. Thanks, friend. We're gonna go find a real flap koozie. Suit yourself, but you've been warned. Jessica started freaking out. What do we do? He, he said they're all sold out. Surely that can't be right, said Caleb. I, I, I mean, it can't be. They both started scrolling through their phones searching the official Coos Cave, then eBay, then Craigslist, then 4chan, then 8chan, and finally Charlie Chan. But no luck. Look, said Caleb, I know a guy in the Tenderloin who's a huge flaphead. He has a little Captain Travis neck tattoo, for Christ's sakes. I know he'll have a stockpile of official flap koozies. Jessica was worried, though. Caleb, isn't it dangerous? And what if he doesn't have any? But Caleb saw no other option. 
What are we gonna do? Use a knockoff koozie? Some things just don't have a substitute, like White Claw, for example. It's a one-of-a-kind flavored malt beverage experience. I mean, I guess there's Truly, Bon & Viv, Henry's, Crook & Marker, Corona Refresca, Smirnoff Spike Sparkling Seltzer, Four Loco Sour Seltzer, Natural Light Seltzer, Paps Stronger Seltzer, probably a few others by the time this recording comes out. But other than that, it's just one of those things that you can accept no imitations. Caleb knew it would be dangerous, but he promised he wouldn't return without an official flap koozie. Time passed as Jessica watched her cooler ice melt. Surely the claws were getting warmer. 20 minutes, 40 minutes. Was Caleb okay? 50 minutes. Finally, after more than an hour had passed, Caleb returned. He looked somber, pale, almost as if he'd seen a ghost. Caleb, are you okay? Did you get an official flap koozie? Yeah, I I'm okay. I've got a koozie. You can drink your White Claw now. Just promise me you won't turn it around. Jessica was relieved. Caleb was okay. And more importantly, that millennial mad dog could now start to make her feel like a breezy trendsetter. She grabbed the crackers. They are underrated, but they're pretty good. Koozie. Hilarious. Babe, I'm happy you're okay, but why can't I turn it around? Just don't. Now please, let's just start drinking and forget this whole ordeal. But as Jessica began to sip her melon, kiwi, lime, grapefruit, boozy bubble water, she couldn't help but peer down. And there it was, the last koozie in town. There was no individually numbered certificate of authenticity that had its own certificate of authenticity. She was drinking out of a knockoff koozie, living in a world devoid of free legal advice podcast merch. Do you ever think about all the coincidences in life? A late bus, a chance meeting, you meet your wife. You're walking down the street, you stop to tie your shoes, and a, a car runs a red light and blows through the intersection right where you would have been walking. All the moving pieces, all the close calls. If only I'd left a little earlier. Sometimes I still wake up, soaked in sweat, thinking about that night. I was back in high school. I just got my first car. <laughs> it wasn't much, but it was freedom. I'd been going steady with Sarah for all of three weeks. We sat next to each other at lunch. We got ice cream a couple times after school. But this was going to be our first date. It wasn't anything fancy, just going to the football game together, but it was all I could think about. I remember... When I went to pick her up, I half expected her dad to meet me at the door with a shotgun. But he just called from the other room. Bye, sweetheart. Have fun. I opened the car door for her and she got in. I made a little nervous small talk on the way to the school. <laughs> Luckily, it was a short trip and I didn't say anything to embarrass myself. She waited when we got there for me to open the door for her to get out. Now, I'd been working as a short order cook uh, to make a little bit of spending money. And I noticed that my boss was volunteering behind the ticket counter. Hey, Mr. Ben, a night off on the town, huh? <laughs> hey, I've got your tickets tonight. Enjoy the game, kids. 
I thanked him. He gave me a little wink as I walked away. It was a great game. I even got a little distracted about the date when we were cheering the team on, but once my hand brushed against hers. I looked over at her and she blushed. I thought about holding her hand, but with all the other kids around and the parents, I decided against it. As we got in the car after the game, she gave me a coy smile and said, you know, I don't have to be home for a little while. I smiled immediately and said, okay, let's take a little drive. As we headed out of town, I think we both knew where we were going. The kids just called it the old barn. It was an abandoned farmhouse a few miles out of town at the end of a long gravel road. I'd never been there before, but everybody knew it was a good place to park and maybe steal a few kisses. I was a little nervous about parking where a cop could see me, or worse, one of my joker friends recognizing my car. So I drove around to the back of the barn. I turned the car off, but I kept the radio on for a little bit of music. What an interesting location, she said. I liked the view, I said. And I leaned in to kiss her. My heart was racing as our lips met, and I reached my arm around her. But just then, a voice came on the radio, interrupting the music. We interrupt this program to bring you a special news bulletin. A serial killer has escaped the state prison. He is to be considered extremely dangerous. If you see any suspicious behavior, call the police immediately. Police described the man as a white male in his early 40s, medium build, 6 foot 2, dark hair and beard, and having a hook for a right hand. Again, if you see any suspicious activity, call the police immediately. Well, Sarah was freaked out. Oh my God, let's get out of here. But all I could think about was her huge tits, burying my face in them and just jackhammering her hips into oblivion, just draining my balls into her. And it was a sure thing, too. She was the biggest whore in school. She'd been holding out on me on purpose, just teasing me. She said she wanted to make my balls purple. Said she'd make me come so hard, they'd have to hold me back a grade, whatever that means. And now this. Oh, come on, I said. That prison is miles from here. No, I'm scared. Let's go home. (sighs) Okay, I said. Let's go. And I fired up the car. As I pulled away, I heard a scraping sound along her side of the car. I cursed under my breath. Great. Parked too close to that fucking fence. We pulled up to her house, and she got out. But as she went to close the door, she screamed. There was a bloody hook hanging from the passenger door. Oh my god! The killer, she said. Yeah, yeah, the fucking killer, I said. Bye. And I drove home to beat off. On a dark and misty October night, a man was walking home, having just finished his meal at Pierre's Poutine Palace. 
He had ordered the Calesta log, a block of cheese curds smothered in mashed potatoes, wrapped in turkey bacon, and deep fried in gravy, which is available at participating Pierre's Poutine Palace locations, where the friendly staff provides award-interested service, proudly making the Ozarks' favorite mouth-watering poutines and Thanksgiving-style meals and shakes, using only the most convenient ingredients at alarmingly low prices. Anyway, stumbling home through the mist in a gravy-induced mental haze, he turned down Walnut Street and passed by a small curiosity shop he had never noticed before. Strange, he thought. He had walked this route so many times before, and yet he had no memory of such a place. Thinking he might find something scary he could use for his Halloween costume, he decided to take a look around inside. A bell tinkled as he opened the door, and glancing around, he saw that no one was there. He casually looked over the many dusty shelves and displays full of strange little trinkets, novelties, curios, knickknacks, doodads, gimcracks, and goo-gaws until he noticed a bauble that caught his fancy. It was a hand as large as his head with two of the fingers painfully curled inward. He thought to himself, where did something like this come from? That comes from my homeland, came a voice from directly behind him. Wheeling around, he saw a bent and weathered old man, smiling ominously at him. This man, the store's owner, was wearing a silken red robe with a hat of similar make with a long tassel spilling down over his shoulder. What is this thing? asked the man. It is a shack's paw. It was removed from a wild shack that was poached in the mountains of my homeland, replied the shopkeeper. You're from China, right? Actually, said the shopkeeper, I come from northern Laos, down the Mekong River, near the village of... China. Got it. So, is this thing for sale? No, it's cursed. Everyone knows exactly where this is going, and we're not doing that. So, what brings you in here? Searching for something? Truth, perhaps? No, not truth. I'm going to a Halloween party tomorrow, and I was hoping to find some kind of scary Chinese thing that I could bring. Well, we have plenty of Laotian items that may suit your needs. Tell me, you wish to frighten people? Well, yeah. People always laugh at my costume. Even little kids. I want to show them that I can be scary too. Do you think you have some kind of Chinese costume that'll scare people? We have a saying in La... In China. <laughs> a student may scare the eye but a master scares the soul. If terror is what you truly desire, a mere costume will not suffice. On the other hand, if you were looking for truth, there are many different options here that would completely satisfy you. I don't want truth, okay? I'm good on truth. So if you don't have a scary costume, what do you have? So it's a no on truth. Yes, no truth. Are you sure? Because if you would just know truth, Jesus. Okay, okay. And so, just to be clear, we are tabling the truth for now. Permanently. All right, all right. Seems to me like the pure cosmic truth of existence is a little better than some fucking Halloween bullshit, but you're the customer. Who needs the psychic aperture of their third eye open to complete universal knowledge when you can dress up as Batman and try to fondle some slosh sorority pledge blowing off studying for art history midterm to go looking for someone desperate enough to ignore the sores on her lips? <clears throat> I'm still standing right in front of you. Ah, yes, right. 
scary. To scare the soul is not a simple task, yet your solution may be quite simple indeed. A simple phrase will be all that is required. A phrase? That's all? Simple, yes. Sounds like Chinese bullshit to me. Is that not what you were hoping to find? Good point. So, what's the phrase? The shopkeeper told the man the phrase, and upon hearing it, he knew that this was no ordinary Chinese bullshit. Surely, this would make him the scariest person at the party. The next night was Halloween. The man left his house, practically humming with energy, ready to finally scare people. After making it several blocks down the street, he saw two children in costumes trick-or-treating. Eager to try out his new scaring technique, he bent down and uttered the phrase to them. The two children ran away screaming, their arms flailing with candy flying out of their bags and into the street. Excellent, he thought. This works even better than I expected. The man continued on his way, now with even more anticipation coursing through him. Upon arriving at the party, his friend greeted him and offered to take his coat. Unable to contain himself, the man uttered the old shopkeeper's phrase. The friend turned a sickly shade of white, the coat slipping from his hand which had fallen loosely to his side. The man was startled at the phrase's effectiveness. Chinese bullshit indeed. Well, he thought, Chad was always a wimp when it came to this kind of stuff, right? I mean, he wouldn't even go camping with us anymore after he saw the Blair Witch Project. He just can't handle scary stuff. But he was wrong. Trying the phrase on the other guests, he found that it had a chilling effect on them, too. Some shrieked in horror, some threw up, some were simply stunned like noble Chad. Some smashed the windows in a fit of terror and heaved themselves out, plummeting eight stories to their grisly end. Those who still had enough of a grip on reality told him to leave and never come back. He had scared his friends all right. He had scared them so much that they wanted nothing to do with him. As it turns out, sometimes our crude verbal language disguises our true desires. A poorly formed wish can end up with disastrous results. So be careful what you wish for. Ah, shit. I just ended up doing the monkey's paw thing, didn't I? Fuck. Well, anyway... The man went back to the shop to curse the shopkeeper for everything that had happened. But when he got back to Walnut Street, there was no Chinese curiosity shop to be found. There was merely an insurance broker next to a psychiatrist's office. But but it was right here, he said. Was it another gravy hallucination? No, no, it couldn't be. How'd I learn the phrase then? Oh, the phrase, the phrase! Mad with grief and anger, he ran screaming into the street. A city bus struck him, mercifully putting an end to his misery. Thirty years later, inside that same psychiatrist's office on Walnut Street, a man in his mid-thirties is speaking to the doctor, who has the peculiar affectation of wearing a silken hat with a long tassel draped over his shoulder. The patient is describing a traumatizing incident that took place in his childhood. It was Halloween. My friend and I were out trick-or-treating when a strange man came up to us. He leaned down and said... and said... Yes? asked the doctor. What did he say? He said... Hey, trouble. 